0: Chapter 2 of Mary Barton by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Manchester tea party. Polly put the kettle on and let's have tea. Polly put the kettle on and we'll all have tea. Here we are wife didst thou think thou'd lost us quoth hearty-voiced Wilson as the two women rose and shook themselves in preparation for their homeward walk. Mrs. Barton was evidently soothed, if not cheered, by the unburdening of her fears and thoughts to her friend, and her approving look went far to second her husband's invitation that the whole party should adjourn from Greenhay's Fields to tea at the Barton's house. The only faint opposition was raised by Mrs. Wilson, on account of the lateness of the hour at which they would probably return, which she feared on her baby's account. Now hold your tongue missus, will you? said her husband good-temperedly. Don't you know them brats never goes to sleep till long past ten? Haven't you a shawl under which you can tuck one lad's head as safe as a bird under its wing? And as for t'other one, I'll put him in my pocket rather than not stay, now we are this far away from Ancoats. Or I can lend you another shawl suggested Mrs Barton. Aye, anything rather than not stay. The matter being decided, the party proceeded home through many half-finished streets, all so like one another that you might have easily been bewildered and lost your way. Not a step, however, did our friends lose, down this entry, cutting off that corner, until they turned out of one of these innumerable streets into a little paved court, having the backs of houses at the end opposite to the opening and a gutter running through the middle to carry off household slops washing suds etc the women who lived in the court were busy taking in strings of caps frocks and various articles of linen which hung from side to side dangling so low that if our friends had been a few minutes sooner they would have had to stoop very much or else the half-wet clothes would have flapped in their faces but although the evening seemed yet early when they were in the open fields among the pent-up houses night, with its mists and its darkness, had already begun to fall. Many greetings were given and exchanged between the Wilsons and these women, for not long ago they had also dwelt in this court. Two rude lads, standing at a disorderly looking house-door, exclaimed as Mary Barton, the daughter, passed, "'Hey, look! Polly Barton's has a sweetheart!' Of course this referred to young Wilson, who stole a look to see how Mary took the idea. He saw her assume the air of a young fury, and to his next speech she answered not a word. Mrs. Barton produced the key of the door from her pocket, and on entering the house-place it seemed as if they were in total darkness, except one bright spot, which might be a cat's eye, or might be, what it was, a red-hot fire, smouldering under a large piece of coal which john barton immediately applied himself to break up and the effect instantly produced was warm and glowing light in every corner of the room to add to this although the coarse yellow glare seemed lost in the ruddy glow from the fire mrs barton lighted a dip by sticking it in the fire and having placed it satisfactorily in a tin candlestick began to look further about her on hospitable thoughts intent the room was tolerably large, and possessed many conveniences. On the right of the door, as you entered, was a longish window, with a broad ledge. On each side of this hung blue and white check curtains, which were now drawn to shut in the friends met to enjoy themselves. Two geraniums, unpruned and leafy, which stood on the sill, formed a further defence from outdoor priors. In the corner between the window and the fireside was a cupboard, apparently full of plates and dishes, cups and saucers, and some more nondescript articles, for which one would have fancied their possessors could find no use, such as triangular pieces of glass to save carving-knives, and forks from dirtying tablecloths. However it was evident Mrs. Barton was proud of her crockery and glass, for she left her cupboard-door open, with a glance round of satisfaction and pleasure, on the opposite side to the door and window was the staircase, and two doors, one of which, the nearest to the fire, led into a sort of little back kitchen, where dirty work such as washing up dishes might be done, and whose shelves served as larder, and pantry, and storeroom, and all. The other door, which was considerably lower, opened into the coal-hole, the slanting closet under the stairs, from which, to the fireplace, there was a gay-coloured piece of oil-cloth laid. The place seemed almost crammed with furniture, sure sign of good times among the mills. Beneath the window was a dresser with three deep drawers. Opposite the fireplace was a table, which I should call a Pembroke, only that it was made of deal, and I cannot tell how far such a name may be applied to such humble material. On it, resting against the wall, was a bright green japanned tea-tray, having a couple of scarlet lovers embracing in the middle. The firelight danced merrily on this, and really, setting all taste but that of a child's aside, it gave a richness of colouring to that side of the room. It was in some measure propped up by a crimson tea-caddy, also of Japan ware. A round table, on one branching leg, really for use, stood in the corresponding corner to the cupboard, and, if you can picture all this with a washy but clean stenciled pattern on the walls, you can form some idea of John Barden's home. The tray was soon hoisted down, and before the merry chatter of cups and saucers began, the women disburdened themselves of their out-of-door things, and sent Mary upstairs with them. Then came a long whispering and chinking of money, to which Mr. and Mrs. Wilson were too polite to attend, knowing, as they did full well, that it related to the preparations for hospitality. Hospitality that, in their turn, they should have such pleasure in offering. "'so they tried to be busily occupied with the children, "'and not to hear Mrs. Barton's directions to Mary. "'Run, Mary dear, just round the corner, "'and get some fresh eggs at Tippings. "'You may get one apiece, that'll be fivepence. "'and see if he has any nice ham cook, "'that he would let us have a pound of.' "'Say two pounds, Mrs., and don't be stingy,' chimed in the husband. "'Well, a pound and a half, Mary, "'and get it Cumberland ham, for Wilson comes from there away, "'and it will have a sort of relish of home with it he'll like.' "'And Mary,' seeing the lassie feigned to be off, "'you must get a pennyworth of milk and a loaf of bread. "'Mind you get it fresh and new, and—and—that's all, Mary.' "'No, it's not all,' said her husband. "'Thou must get sixpennyworth of rum to warm the tea. "'Thou'll get it at the grapes, and thou'll just go to Alice Wilson— "'he says she lives just right round the corner under 14 Barber Street.' "'This was addressed to his wife. "'And tell her to come and take tea with us. "'She'll like to see her brother. "'I'll be bound, let alone Jane and the twins.' if she comes she must bring a teacup and saucer for we have but half a dozen and here's six of us said mrs Barton. pooh pooh jem and mary can drink out of one surely but mary secretly determined to take care that alice brought her teacup and saucer if the alternative was to be her sharing anything with jem alice wilson had but just come in she had been out all day in the fields gathering wild herbs for drinks and medicine for in addition to her invaluable qualities as a sick nurse and her worldly occupation as a washerwoman she added a considerable knowledge of hedge and field simples, and on fine days when no more profitable occupation offered itself she used to ramble off into the lanes and meadows as far as her legs could carry her. This evening she had returned loaded with nettles, and her first object was to light a candle and see to hang them up in bunches in every available place in her cellar-room. It was the perfection of cleanliness. In one corner stood the modest-looking bed, with a check curtain at the head, the whitewashed wall filling up the place where the corresponding one should have been. The floor was bricked and scrupulously clean, although so damp that it seemed as if the last washing would never dry up. As the cellar window looked into an area in the street down which boys might throw stones, it was protected by an outside shelter and was oddly festooned with all manner of hedgerow ditch and field plants which we are accustomed to call valueless but which have a powerful effect either for good or for evil and are consequently much used among the poor the room was strewed hung and darkened with these bunches which emitted no very fragrant odour in their process of drying in one corner was a sort of broad hanging shelf made of old planks where some old hordes of Alice's were kept. Her little bit of crockery ware was ranged on the mantelpiece, where also stood her candlestick and box of matches. A small cupboard contained at the bottom coals, and at the top her bread and basin of oatmeal, her frying-pan, teapot, and a small tin saucepan, which served as a kettle as well as for cooking the delicate little messes of broth which Alice sometimes was able to manufacture for a sick neighbour. After her walk she felt chilly and weary, and was busy trying to light her fire with the damp coals and half-green sticks, when Mary knocked. "'Come in,' said Alice, remembering, however, that she had barred the door for the night, and hastening to make it possible for anyone to come in. "'Is that you, Mary Barton?' exclaimed she, as the light from her candle streamed on the girl's face. "'How you are grown since I used to see you at my brother's! Come in, lass, come in!' "'Please,' said Mary, almost breathless, "'mother says you're to come to tea, and bring you cup and saucer, for George and Jane Wilson is with us, and the twins, and Jem, and you're to make haste, please.' "'I'm sure it's very neighbourly and kind in your mother, and I'll come, with many thanks. Stay, Mary. Has your mother got any nettles for spring drink? If she hasn't, I'll take her some.' "'No, I don't think she has.' Mary ran off like a hare to fulfil what, to a girl of thirteen, fond of power, was the more interesting part of her errand, the money-spending part, and well and ably did she perform her business, returning home with a little bottle of rum and the eggs in one hand, while her other was filled with some excellent red-and-white, smoke-flavoured Cumberland ham, wrapped up in paper." She was at home, and frying ham before Alice had chosen her nettles, put out her candle, locked her door, and walked in a very footsore manner as far as John Barton's. What an aspect of comfort did his house-place present after her humble cellar! She did not think of comparing, but for all that she felt the delicious glow of the fire, the bright light that revelled in every corner of the room, the savoury smells, the comfortable sounds of a boiling kettle, and the hissing frizzling ham with a little old-fashioned curtsey, she shut the door and replied with a loving heart to the boisterous and surprised greeting of her brother and now all preparations being made the party sat down mrs wilson in the post of honour the rocking-chair on the right-hand side of the fire nursing her baby while its father in an opposite armchair tried vainly to quieten the other with bread soaked in milk Mrs. Barton knew manners too well to do anything but sit at the tea-table and make tea, though in her heart she longed to be able to superintend the frying of the ham, and cast many an anxious look at Mary as she broke the eggs and turned the ham, with a very comfortable portion of confidence in her own culinary powers. Jem stood awkwardly leaning against the dresser, replying rather gruffly to his aunt's speeches, which gave him, he thought, the air of being a little boy, whereas he considered himself as a young man, and not so very young neither, as in two months he would be eighteen. Barton vibrated between the fire and the tea-table, his only drawback being a fancy that every now and then his wife's face flushed and contracted as if in pain. At length the business actually began. Knives and forks, cups and saucers made a noise, but human voices were still for human beings were hungry, and had no time to speak. Alice first broke silence, holding her teacup with the manner of one proposing a toast, she said, "'Here's to absent friends. Friends may meet, but mountains never.' It was an unlucky toast or sentiment, as she instantly felt. Everyone thought of Esther, the absent Esther, and Mrs. Barton put down her food, and could not hide the fast-dropping tears alice could have bitten her tongue out it was a wet blanket to the evening for though all had been said and suggested in the fields that could be said or suggested every one had a wish to say something in the way of comfort to poor mrs barton and a dislike to talk about anything else while her tears fell fast and scalding so george wilson his wife and children set off early home not before in spite of malapropos speeches they had expressed a wish that such meetings might often take place and not before john barton had given his hearty consent and declared that as soon as ever his wife was well again they would have just such another evening i will take care not to come and spoil it thought poor alice and going up to mrs barton she took her hand almost humbly and said you don't know how sorry i am i said it to her surprise a surprise that brought tears of joy into her eyes mary barton put her arms round her neck and kissed the self-reproaching alice you didn't mean any harm and it was me as was so foolish only this work about esther and not knowing where she is lies so heavy on my heart good night and never think no more about it god bless you alice many and many a time as alice reviewed that evening in her after life did she bless mary barton for these kind and thoughtful words but just then all she could say was, Good night, Mary, and God bless you. End of chapter 2 Read by Tony Foster